0: Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Treseda from Somerset uh, NHS, and I'm joined by my colleague and friend, Dr. Peter
1: Bagshaw, uh, GP, and also from Somerset uh, NHS.
0: And today our title is talking about men's mental health, and we're really pleased to welcome uh, our guests, Ian Bramley and Q. Um, Ian, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself, please.
2: Hello, yes, my name's Ian Bramley. Um, I chair the Step Ladder Steering Group. Um, Step Ladder is a men's mental health project in Somerset, which aims to um, reduce um, suicide amongst men in Somerset by just helping men to talk about their mental health and to support others
3: with in their mental health needs.
0: Thank you, Ian. And Q? I,
3: uh, I'm Q um i have been suffering with mental health issues since i was eight years of age um i have been asked along to this podcast just to share my experiences as a man with mental health issues
0: thank you very much for coming and you're very welcome and i think we all know that
1: men generally are are pretty bad at talking about their feelings aren't they what what's brought you to to us and um, making us want to encourage to talk about things do you think it will will help some of the mental health problems that men have
3: I believe so Um, realistically um, one of the problems issues I had was I felt alone like it was only me going through these struggles but um, since accessing different types of therapy, I find that actually I'm not alone. There are very many people that are um, feeling the same issues and not a lot of us are actually gaining the support that is needed.
1: And Q, we've talked quite a bit about different talking therapies uh, on, on this these podcasts. Do you want to tell us a bit more about the, the sort of therapies that you've had experience of and, and how useful you found them and what's involved?
3: Sure. Um, well, I started off with um, art therapy. Now, I'm no artist. At the beginning, I didn't even think art therapy would be anything useful for myself. But um, one thing I found with my mental health is allowing myself to engage in. Um, in the services that are around me. Engaging with art therapy was really, really, really useful for me personally as an individual, because um, it allowed me to get all the thoughts and stresses that all the um, problems that were going on in my head throughout my whole entire life. It allowed me to display them in an open, safe environment and process them at the same time. Now doing that allowed Um, parts of my brain to be freed so then i wasn't so much focusing on those troubles um because those had been relieved because i processed them in a safe environment which then allowed me to then move on to um dbt which is um um, dialectical behavioral therapy um this was a group session um, um, scheme but that one was again was very useful because the first thing they said to me was Um, your life experiences have got you to this point. Um, You may have been using um, a hammer to go through your life. We're just here to give you new tools to handle life's problems or whatever issues you're having in general with life. So um, DBT taught me about um, managing my emotion, my anxieties, um, learning to recognize when these things are happening and to, you process them before um, they actually become a problem, and um, the third one, which I'm currently still accessing, is cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, this one I feel I felt strongly about, and this is one I really wanted to get to, because for me. Um, the stresses of my mental health have always been um, evident in my behavioural standards. Um, so, for instance, growing up in care, I never knew right from wrong. So grow, um, coming into adulthood, being right and wrong was a bit of an awkward situation, and I had to teach myself those things. But with dialectical behavioural therapy, I mean, no, sorry, cognitive behavioural therapy, analytical therapy, it's now um at helping me to analyze um the, the beginning processes um through to the now times and also look to what I can do to put into place for the future events that might occur. Cause I don't know what future events are going to occur, but I have confidence because of the therapies that I've actually, um, involved myself in, um, immersed myself in, so to speak, that I feel confident that I am stable enough that the future, though it is daunting, though it is anxious. I'm confident that I have the right tools to move forward.
1: That's really great to hear, Q. And so often when I recommend talking therapies to my patients, they're very reluctant. So it's great to hear that you initially had that scepticism, but overcome that and have have found it useful. Ian, can I ask you, Q has talked about the importance of a safe environment for opening up and talking. How do you create that in your role?
2: So... I think there's, there's a few things um, when, when thinking about men and their mental health. And I think one of the things for, for men is that men don't naturally, this is a generalization, of course, but men don't naturally talk about their emotions and how they're feeling. And um, one of the things that we've tried to do is to create some contexts where men can do that. Um, so there are things like there there have been some football teams set up, there have been things like men meeting around a campfire just to chat, so there's, there's, there's opportunity but I think the most important thing I think that we're trying to help with is to help men to understand that what they're feeling is probably quite common but it is actually a mental health issue, it's something people can help them with and they can be helped with and the sorts of things that we're trying to encourage men to do is to um, talk to a trusted friend for instance so find someone and talk to them but also if you're being talked to to actually listen to the person and I think in many contexts that men meet in there's a lot of banter and a lot of flippant behavior and it actually is quite hard for a man to open up and perhaps express their their, their 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 deeper innermost feelings and sometimes people often just genuinely through embarrassment or not knowing what to say will make a flippant remark and i guess what we're trying to do is raise awareness of the fact that actually if somebody's talking to you then listen to them and also that thing which I think those of us that have been around mental health known for a long time about asking people how they are and then a little bit later on in the conversation asking them how they are again because it's usually on that second ask of how they are that you get the information because the first time it's a bit of a greeting really you know hello how are you and so these are some of the things that we've been trying to encourage and um i guess another thing that I, I, I would like to mention if I can, is that Somerset is part of the orange button scheme. And um, there are people now who um, like wear an orange button on their clothes. And this means that we've been trained to talk to people about their mental health. It's not therapy. It's just a conversation. So it's just about opening up the fact that it's OK to talk about your mental health. That's
0: really interesting, Ian. And you've brought up some fascinating points about context, about community, about active listening, and about the fact that we often cover our own inner discomfort by saying we're fine, or by using flippancy or humour. And fine, of course, stands for, does anybody know what F-I-N-E stands for? I
3: um, know this one because we did this in um, DBT, just can't remember. There's,
0: there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a polite version. So do you mind if we do the polite version, which is fearful, insecure, neurotic and emotionally imbalanced, um, which is a fair description of what's under the surface for many of us. Um, um, and then, of course, you ask ask people how they are. Uh, a second time, and sometimes they say, "Well, I'm too busy to think about that. It's not on my to-do list. So we all use <laughs> denial and displacement at times, which lead us into problems. But Ian, you were saying about um find a trusted friend. Trusted friends come sometimes after shared experiences, sometimes after a period of time, um, in, in together doing things or sometimes in a community. What are the ingredients? what how How does one come by a trusted friend?
2: how do, How does that happen? Oh, that's a that's a difficult question, isn't it? I think um, it's about spending time with people. It's about shared interests. Um, It's sometimes about being bold enough to open up because um, many people will feel very privileged that you have opened up to them when they get over the shock. Um, So I I think it's some of that. And yeah, I, I think also. I think it's about all of us actually looking out for people and looking out for our community. Um, it's just a, 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 one of the things that really got me interested in in, in 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 the whole area of mental health was I was out in town one night doing some, it was actually charity work, but I was out in town and it was about midnight and this guy came out of the pub. He was quite drunk and he came up and he started taking the mickey out of me. So I engaged him in conversation. We had a chat. And we talked for about 20 or 30 minutes. And as he was leaving, he said to me, he said, I come to the pub every night and you are the first person I've spoken to this week. And he was the same age of me at at the time. He was was in his mid-50s. And I just thought, I'd assumed that because this guy was in a pub, that he had a social network. And I think there is something about just not making assumptions about people.
0: That's really interesting, Hugh. I see that you've been nodding vigorously on various comments. There, please bring in your insights.
3: Yeah, again, I have to agree with Ian here. Straightforward. Again, so this is me coming from being eight years of age now, forty. I have many issues with trust. Okay, Um, I have um, have a system. So there is family, and then there's friends. Now, trust is a really big thing for me. I cannot trust people easily. Now, my families are friends that I've had for 20-odd years. Now, these people, for me to know them for 20-odd years is a really big thing because usually I only know people for two to three years, maximum five years, and then we lose contact. But these people have been through my struggles, through my highs and my lows, they know me in and out. They've known me in my worst times and my good times, and they've stuck by me. Shout out to Dylan, shout out to Deden shout out to um, Adam Fitz. Like literally, if it wasn't for you guys, I don't know what I would do because it wasn't just about um them supporting me. I also supported them because together as men, I was um sort of a father figure. I was the one that they could, um, come to was a community of friends who were uh, not just dis- well we were disadvantaged being in South London but we didn't let that s- well I didn't let that stop me um, I didn't let my mental health struggle stop me I didn't let it um, beat me in, uh, into submission to submit to conform to the stereotypes that people put onto m- people in my um, category for instance growing up in Kent. Um, back in the 80s, growing up in care 90s, it was like the worst thing ever possible, because it wasn't talked about. But um, my friends, they, they stuck by me. And then being in Somerset, because i moved away from those people that I've known for 20 years... It's trying to find that new friendship group. Like Ian was saying, he had, um, he just met someone that had just come out of a pub. He'd been in there all day and he'd been there and he'd never had anyone talk to him. I worked in the bar industry for 15 years. I've experienced what Ian has said. I have literally seen people walk into my bar, sit there, drink all day, and no one has talked to them until I've actually um, come personally because they've served a drink and asked me. And I've talked to them. But again, it's that it's that connection.
1: And Q, it's fantastic that you've had this social support that, as you say, has been two way, as, as it often is. Um, for those of us who who bump into somebody in a pub um, and we think that they're looking a bit distressed or lonely and we want to start that conversation. Are there any clues either of you can give us on phrases that that work well, approaches that work well, things not to do, maybe? Because it's a really difficult conversation. I think a lot of us would feel very awkward just going up to somebody and saying, how are you? You you, you don't seem quite how you should be.
3: I can only talk from personal experience. So um, one of the things that stopped me going out regularly, like I used to, was the one old age question. So what are you up to right now? Because I can't turn around to them and say, Well, I'm not working at the moment because my mental health is so shod that I literally cannot physically get myself to a job because I literally cannot handle um whatever situation is going on on that day. Um and then when people, and when I say that to am not if I say oh I'm not doing much with myself, they then assume stuff. That's another big thing. Like you were saying, you just need to listen to these people and hear them. That's a big thing. When I I was going through my mental struggles, a lot of not just the people around me, but the services I engaged with, they would listen, but none of them would hear me. It wasn't until the current um, system that I'm working with right now who actually came into my life They spent an hour with me. One person spent an hour with me. They listened, they heard me, and they catered to me and my needs. But they all have individual workers that they also have, and they do that with each and every one of them. And for me, that is the biggest thing, because mental health is not a one category. It's individual. Like, for instance, the um, the therapies you engage in, they may not be right for you, But still engage them, engage in them, because you never know something until you try it. Like I said, my art therapy, I never thought I'd get anything from it. From the beginning, I was like, nope, nope, nope. But I tried it because I was like, don't ever knock anything until you try it. I tried it and I got so much benefit out of it. I now advocate to everyone that I meet that's going through health and mental health troubles, just try art therapy. It might work out, it might not. It's based on those individual themselves.
0: A really powerful story, Q. Thank you so much. And Ian, what would you like to add to that?
2: Well, I think Q's covered it, really. But I think just thinking about that, so you see somebody in a pub and you don't quite know how to approach them. I think I, I personally have learned the art of small talk and I would tend to go up and I'd say something like, oh it's quiet in here tonight or it's busy in here tonight and just see what the person says and i think the thing that q said that's really really important is don't put people in a box don't make assumptions about people don't make assumptions about people because they're not working don't make assumptions about people because they share that they have a mental health diagnosis or 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 if they swear a lot, don't make assumptions. And I think it's it's that that just just being a good listener, and just as as Q says, I mean, it was, it's interesting. You know, you said Q about somebody giving you an hour, and just giving people time. And you know, I'll be honest. Sometimes it's 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 quite it's it's quite hard work. It's it can be quite you know, it takes people a long time to open up, and. It, it, but it is worth it and you might never get to that point where you get to talk about anything really important but at least they'll walk out the pub knowing that somebody's talked to them today that's so good
0: to hear and um as a if one's a non-drinker um how how is it how is it easy to um for men to meet for conversations what sort of venues what to,
2: so I meet, I, I meet a lot of men in coffee shops, <laughs> coffee shops and breakfast, a good fry up. Sorry, GPs, <laughs> but a good fry up is, um, is, is, is a good context to sit and chat to someone. Um, and but, but, but that's the, obviously you have to arrange that. But quite often in coffee shops, I often say coffee shops are the new pubs. Um, that That's where people meet now
3: okay well for me personally this is the struggles um being someone with mental health issues and um um, not wanting to socialize and such um going to a Pub exasperates the issues Drinking only leads to more issues And that's coming from experience There, So again, I would advise not a pub I mean, if if the pub's the only option For you at that time That's what's right for you Then what can I say? But if I'm being honest with you you need to find um, Google social clubs or um, not anywhere not non-alcoholic. Daytime meetings are the best because that, that way um, you're out of your house. Me personally, because if if I don't have something to take me out of my house, I'm not going to come out of my house. But if I was to um, arrange for someone to have a coffee morning, um, um, for instance, I've now run a coffee morning every week for people to get together for mental health in my community so what I'm basically saying is Google if you can or even ask your um, therapist or whoever is involved in your care are there any social groups during the day that I can attend if and when I want to because it shouldn't be a, um, a conforming thing it should be as and when you need it realistically but yeah coffee shops are the definite way forward
0: That's really interesting to hear. We're hearing about social uh, meetings and how about when people do things together, when they've got a shared purpose and I I completely get cue when it's difficult when people say, what, you know, how's things going or what are you doing these days? Um, But there was, there was something that came out of Ireland at the time of the economic crisis. or 15 years ago, when there were quite a lot of um, tragic suicides of of men who, who had become bankrupt. Uh, And, they realized at that point that women on the whole will talk to each other, but men find it much more difficult. And one of the things that they found worked was to have shared activities. And so a whole a whole culture of men's sheds was was built up. I don't know if you've got any experience of those or know uh, anything that you can share on, on shared activities like that.
2: So, so I am aware of, of men's sheds in, in, in Somerset. They're, they they exist, and and as um, Q says, you can Google them. Um, within um, uh, Step Ladder, we've been able to give some grants to people to get a few things off the work off the ground. Um, I mentioned about the um, the blokes bonfire in someone's back garden, where men just sit round a fire and chat. Fire seems to be a good thing for men for some reason. Um, and there's there's a men's pensioners football team. There's Pilates that have been set up for men. And these things are are good, but they're good for men who join things. And a bit like Q was saying earlier, there are a lot of men who don't join things. And for me, that's that's a real challenge for us.
1: And perhaps we could give a shout out to the—is it the Lions Barbers? Uh, where, oh yes. You're you're not going there in order to talk. You're going in in order to have your hair cut. But while you're there, people have been trained up to have these conversations. Is that the sort of thing that you'd advocate as well, both of you?
3: Yes. And and any safe place that um, any safe place that men because generally men like to interact with each other. Okay. Um. Coming from a gentleman who's a bit younger than yourselves, growing up in the eighties, nineties, our generation was predominantly boys. are see, um, boys don't cry. Boys' feelings should be kept to themselves. We're strong. We're soldiers. Strength. Is found in weakness. That's what I've come to realise. Because in my weakest moments, my mental health, the strength I found to keep going, to actually um, engage in these services that have been open to me, have been the strength. Them, um, the strengths that I've found. So, if you're ever feeling weak. Remember, you are strong because you are feeling weak, because any person, even the strongest man in the world will tell you he has cried at least five times in his life because he has felt a bit of weakness. But that has added to his strength because for me personally, everything I've been through has um, geared me up for this moment in time For this moment speaking on this podcast All the experiences I've lived, all the Mental health troubles I've gone through Is to help you gentlemen and You women because us as a Society need to understand That mental health is a big issue in our whole entire society the more we can talk freely about it the more we can actually listen to each other and the troubles we have and not put ourselves down or judge each other by what we've been through the more society can learn to heal and be better with each other that's how i feel
1: that's a really powerful message q I, I think that's absolutely great to hear that. A lot of people think that being strong, you know, strong and silent, it goes together, doesn't it? But silence isn't being strong. It, it's, it takes a lot more courage to open up and say how you really feel. Um, so that, that's great to hear. Anything you want to add to that, Ian?
2: No, I would just echo that. And I think that 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 recognising how difficult it is, particularly for for. But for us men but actually for anybody to open up and lay themselves bare before someone i mean i always personally see it as a privilege when someone tells me something about themselves i think this is this is you know that they have trusted me enough they're opening up and i think i would just remind us of something i said at the beginning is that sometimes because us men find it difficult to deal with emotion we can sometimes close someone down with a flippant remark um, and just avoiding doing that is probably a really good thing to train yourself to do. If you're, if, if you're, if you're a, a guy that likes to banter and joke and be the life and soul of the party, just calming yourself down and teaching yourself not to immediately make that thing that jumps into your head come out of your mouth is probably a good thing.
0: Thank you. And use active listening. Could I just bring up one other slight topic, which is a really serious, important one, because many of us at times in life have thought life isn't worth living. And sometimes when we thought life isn't worth living, we thought, well, what are the alternatives? And the statistics are, are quite horrifying about how many of us have actually thought at one point in our lives of, of, of ending our lives. Um, and but rather than go into the statistics about that, I'd like, to, and, and we can talk about that a little. But I'd, I'd just like to give a plug for safety. Now, in a rural county, many of us drive cars, and I'm sure that we're all good boys and girls, and that we all wear our safety belts. And statistically, there are five of us here at the moment. And let's say, let's say that we drove ten thousand miles a year each. That's over twenty years. We drive a million miles. That's forty thousand hours. That's sorry, twenty five thousand hours of of driving time. And let's hope we only had two or three accidents in that time, maybe a few more. But the aggregate number of seconds our safety belts would have been useful would have been half a dozen seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, over a dozen episodes. So you could argue, and I'm very much tongue in cheek and I'm using irony very heavily at this moment, you could argue that wearing a safety belt could be a waste of time, statistically. Of course it's not. I mean, it's it's just common sense. It's what we do, isn't it? Um, There is something called safety planning, uh, and there's a very good website, stayingsafe.net, and I've done my safety plan. This is suicide prevention safety plan, and everybody should have a suicide prevention plan simply because when we feel desperate, when our emotions are overwhelming, we lose our ability to think clearly, and it's precisely that point that we need the safety belt on rather than tragically go through the windscreen. So it's just a plug for stayingsafe.net. And uh, Peter, I think Mm -hmm. there's some other things that you want to pick up from David. What's David's put?
1: Yes, absolutely. So if anybody has been inspired by this podcast and is struggling and feels that they need somewhere to talk, there are lots of safe spaces to do that. So... Uh, We've got the open mental health and anyone can go to their GP and ask to be referred uh, to a counsellor from that. We've got the uh, talking therapies, which are available to anybody uh, either. uh, Now it's often done via Zoom or over the phone, but it can be done in person as well. And there's online as well. Uh, We've got second step um, step ladder. Um, and uh, SASP's unbreakable men's sports groups as well uh, and we'll put all those links on the show notes but I I'd, I'd like to leave the last words to to Ian and Q if I may because you've given us some really great advice this episode so I I'd, I'd like to sort of see if you can leave us with any any final wise words before we sign off
2: so so for me um I'll let Q go last <laughs> um for me um I think it's really important if you're feeling not right just to talk to someone, just find someone to talk to. That's that's really, really important. And just to add to that list of places that you can get help from, Um, Mindline is also an excellent resource there's a telephone number you can ring they'll give you a half hour chat they will listen to you they won't tell you what to do they'll make suggestions but it's really good they are good listeners and that's 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 a good place to go if you're completely on your own and you can't find anyone to talk to just
3: to sign off I want to say To everyone out there, men and females, boys and girls, you're all human. Do not forget that. Okay. We are all in this together and together we can come out the other side. Okay. You are not alone. I, for one, am here. Um, personally, I run, um, a morning workshop, morning coffee group every Monday apart from bank holidays at Purple Spoon Cafe that is one next to the YMCA building in Highbridge. Highbridge Hybrid and Burnham Near the Hybrid and Burnham train station 10 until 12.30 in the afternoon Literally you can come in Even if it's just for a coffee coffee, One cup of coffee paid for free Just come in and join like-minded people Even if it's just to get you out the house For an hour or two Come in and join You don't have to talk to anyone You can talk to everyone if you feel like it You won't be judged That's all I say to you And please, please Be safe And talk to people Oh, one other thing I just want to give a big shout out to my Somerset friends. I mentioned my London friends earlier, my Somerset friends. Big shout out to James Wynn. Big shout out to Liam Dolan. Big shout out to Joseph Roseff. Big shout out to Matty Smith. Without those lads, I don't know where I would be today. And to my ladies as well. You know how I love you ladies. Like Daniel, Daniel Eldridge. I love you, all of you guys. If it wasn't for you, I don't know where I'd be. And I appreciate the love and support that you've given me all these years and people just remember there are people and there are support for you out there should you need it thank you and thank you for having me on the show it's been an amazing experience i'm so glad to have been here with you guys
1: thank you both that's been absolutely fantastic and i think you've demonstrated the power of talking to all our listeners thank you thank you thank you
0: very much everyone go well you've been listening to the Somerset emotional wellbeing podcast hosted by our team of doctors from NHS Somerset, including Dr. Andrew Drusida, Dr. Peter Bagshaw and Dr. Sarah Cooper. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset
2: Clinical Commissioning Group.